So I was standing at the sink, doing dishes after breakfast, could have been any Saturday really, and all of a sudden I was, you know, that tranquil kind of peaceful meditative state of doing dishes uh, was interrupted by screeches of, stop, no, give it to me, that's mine. And I turn around, right, and they're somehow talking with their hands. My boys do this. I don't know if you've seen anybody talk with their hands, but they like are, are pushing and fighting. And I felt something rising in me. I couldn't quite uh, tell you at the time. It just, I could see I was having a reaction. And so I went deep into my parental toolkit, full of like research back methods, right? And I pulled deep from there and just said, stop fighting. <laughs> so it's so effective, that technique. And uh, after I yelled, which I'm actually not very proud of, I uh, felt that kind of cathartic thing that like all of a sudden it washes away and you start to become aware of yourself. And as I did, I, in a split second, like it wasn't even a, like a long moment, it was just, just like between the bubbles popping in the sudsy water, I had these flashes of words, uh, little sentences. The first was something like, it shouldn't be this hard. And then the next flash was, uh, I don't want to deal with this again. And then there was another flash which was actually like, I don't know if I'm cut out to be a parent. Right? And there was just flashes, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing the dishes. Because this is life, right? Life just happens, and as it happens, we get these like random eruptions of emotions, of feeling, of thinking, of acting. And behind those, we believe our stories. There's these little narratives that we're telling. But often, we don't even catch them, right? Like, this moment was a gift to me. I actually felt something other than myself call that to my attention. Most of the time, I just go from one fight to the next on the weekend is how it feels, and not really aware at all that there's stories taking place within me. Just kind of feels like this is how it is. This is reality. I'm not choosing anything. I'm not, I'm not telling anything. This is just what's going on, right? But we believe that there's actually these little stories that take place in them, and that's why we've been doing a series called Reframe. So what, what I hope to do today is, is talk to you a little bit about uh, why we set off on the reframe journey, give you a summary of sort of the art of reframing, uh, and then leave you with some examples, because uh, I got lots of them, lots of fuel for reframing. And so just to kind of say that reframing is just a, when you hear someone say reframe, it's a classic problem solving technique. It's not like a, it's not just a nice word that we threw at it. Uh, anytime someone gets stuck or challenged, the, there's this technique in problem solving which says you're probably not defining the problem right. So step out and look at it from a different angle. Sometimes people physically do this. Like I've heard on a podcast recently someone saying, before you decide how you're going to solve a problem, take a walk. Just walk with the problem. They teach this stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a different way of approaching it. Uh, keep looking at the problem from different angles. That's traditionally what we mean by reframing. And so as a series, though, we were asking this question, like, what do the stories we tell them ourselves, how we kind of have in, in us these little narratives, uh, what do they look like in light of the hope of Jesus? In light of the hope we find about what Jesus says about humanity and God? And do we ever stop and look at those stories and see uh, if they align? And if they don't, how would we reframe it? How would we actually tell that story differently? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say it another way. I think this has been a, a challenge for the church for a long, long time. And the, the uh, Apostle Paul, in his time, writing to this little community in Ephesus, I think 
he gave them a sort of similar thing. Uh, this is at least my interpretation. I'll just read it for you. This is from Ephesians 4. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorances that, ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I just thought, there's an interesting thing here for me, like when I, when I read Ephesians, uh, this stands out like the this, not that. Be like this, uh, not like that. And the Gentiles are in the not like that camp here. Um, Paul's using them as, as, as an example of don't be like this. And what he says that describes them at the root of what not to imitate is the hardening of a heart that's lost its sensitivity. And this is a really interesting place to start, the hardening of the heart. Because I actually think at the heart of reframing is if we're not sensitive to the stories in which we're telling, if we're not sensitive to what's going on in our heads, in our, in our world, we miss it all. And we just can kind of move in the world in a sort of, not like zombies, but essentially in the unexamined life, is how I would phrase that. And, and, and like I said before, I actually think there's an openness that requires a different perspective. Some might call it your conscience or, or the work of the spirit. Like that, that voice that nudges us towards life. If we close off to it, we may not even hear the stories that we're telling ourselves. And I think this is what Paul starts to talk about. And then he talks about this framing. You know, we all have this like habitual uh, kind of the self that we just, we grew up this way, right? And we had habits reinforced, we had behaviors that reinforced, they became just part of who we are. And I believe that we are habitual storytellers, at least I am an habitual storyteller. <laughs> and that, that is sort of the old self. That's in that old self camp. That's the sort of self that's just uh, been formed, been there, uh, that hasn't kind of had the stories of Jesus and the work of the Spirit kind of pu pushing on it, working with it. And so to me, like, the frame is to say, like, this is the struggle. The struggle is between the habits that we have, the ways that we've grown up, and, and the new self, which is being made alive through the guidance and the work of this life-giving generative force uh, that we call the Spirit of God. And so that's the sort of tension that I think we, behind the whole reframing journey, is this. How do we put on that practice of telling those new stories, of putting on that new mind that Paul speaks of. That's the work, right? That's the work uh, that we do collaboratively with God. And, and so that's sort of some of the backing, the why, when we did reframe. And I think behind reframing, part of it, there's just three big steps that, uh, which may sound really simple, but they're, they're really tricky. Uh, but I think there's three steps that we've kind of talked about through our series. So just to kind of summarize the whole series, I think the reframing essentially asks us to do these three things. It asks us to listen. That's that sensitivity of the heart, to listen to ourselves. It's a reflective practice. Listen to the things in our lives, the stories we're telling, uh, to hear them. And then the next stage is to question them. And the questioning them is, is to ask questions like, uh, what difference does, this is a question I steal from Chris, because he, he's told this to me a few times, is what difference does Jesus make 
to that story, right? Like, what, what impact does Jesus have on, on that narrative that we're telling ourselves? What, how does the hope that we have in Jesus uh, meet that story? And then the third and probably the hardest one is to start telling new stories to ourselves and to each other, uh, to fuel ourselves with the new story that we have in Jesus so that it helps to form us, uh, these new habits, the, the instincts of Jesus. And I just want to walk through these for me because I actually find that I have plenty of examples of how I need to do this on a daily basis. So I'll just take you through a couple and then we'll just kind of end up with uh, hopefully a couple ideas for how you can keep applying this. So we've picked a lot of different topics, right? We've gone through vulnerability, we've gone through doubt, we've talked about disappointment, and in each one we've talked about uncovering the stories that were underneath of them, finding this new story that we, we would tell. And so for me, I, uh, I just want to pick back up with my sink story. So if you were going to ask me like an area of my life that I, I kind of, I don't know what the word would be, loathe <laughs> or don't like about myself, uh, how I deal with frustration is high on my list. Um, I'm an easily frustrated person. And I didn't really kind of would describe myself like that until I had kids. And then it's become really clear how easily frustrated I am. And so I was just like, man, this is an area I just don't like, and I want to do some work on it. And so I do what I do most of the time, which is just buy a book uh, and just see what it says. Uh, Phil actually suggested this book. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good book. Um, it's called, I think it's called Change, Change the Way You Think. I, yeah, something like this. Yeah, Change Your Thinking. And I was quite heartened that there was a whole chapter on frustration. I was like, yeah, this is for me, right? So I open it up. In the first paragraph, it describes a condition, kind of. But I, am, uh, I have hypochondriac tendencies, so if I can get a condition, it's so good, I'll just read it be like, yeah, totally got that. But let me tell you, I actually have this one, all right? This is behavior that I do. Yeah, you can question it later. So this condition is called low frustration tolerance, all right? LFT. I will refer to it as LFT because it makes it sound more legit. LFT, low frustration tolerance. And I was just like, all right, it was, cla- it was coined in the 60s, so you know, all good things were coined in the 60s. And it has this description of some of the behaviors of, of people with this LFT, who, whatever. Uh, and I was reading through them, and I'm like, man, I do all of these things. So I'll just give you the three, and, we'll, and I'll, I'll talk to you about how I'm some of my journey with them. So the first is they said, people who exhibit this trait uh, often will make demands in a situation. And usually making demands shows up with one word, should. Right? And so if you stop and listen to your stories and you hear the word should, I'm dumb not, please don't classify yourself as LFT. Uh, this is one of these traits. This is a behavior that they do. And if you go to the sink story, I'll start there, should. This shouldn't be so hard. I'm making a demand of the situation. This should, and like you can see how the should, that expectation setting, already you got the, the water starting to bubble, right? And the next thing they say that people with <laughs> do is they have black and white thinking. It's, it's all good or it's all bad. Okay, so this is the second common trait. And then the third thing they do, which is one of my artistic expressions, uh, is called awfulizing which is when you take something and you exaggerate the negative consequences. I feel like that is like a skill. I've, I've really honed that. Uh, it's part of my dramatic you know, expression. So these were three things they said that they often do. Now, if you go back to the sink, I, I can see all three of them happening to me at the sink. The first was, like I said, this shouldn't be this hard. All right, so I, when I listen to myself and I hear it, okay, that's what I hear. This shouldn't be this hard. And then if I actually can stop and question it, 
I step back and be like, okay, let's question this. I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old who are fighting at Saturday morning after they've had uh, waffles and some syrup, right? Like, hmm, maybe that's reasonable. Maybe humans need to spend some time learning how to relate to one another. Maybe it's completely understandable that a four- and a six-year-old who are brothers are testing their boundaries about how they set up themselves in relationship to each other, right? It's like, if I question, if I could detach myself and then be like sitting there counseling myself, I'd be like, hmm, Justin, that sounds like it's a little bit crazy that you think it has to be peaceful and zen on a Saturday when you have a four- and a six-year-old, two boys who haven't run at all, right? Like, that's the sort of questioning uh, that I want to, that, that starts to happen. So then my story changes, right? So once I question, I analyze, and I look at the frame differently, my story changes. And so what's hard for me is to give up this demand, to give up my judgment, my uh, kind of my expectation, and open to cu be curious, to have that open curiosity about why, what even happened, why are they reacting this way, right? Because then I can help troubleshoot with them. But it's not until I can like, give up this like, demand on how it has to be that I can even see what it is. And that's really tricky for me, every day. I mean, even this morning, I've had several moments where I'm like, can you just sit on the toilet? What's going, you know? Like, um, and so that was the first story I heard, the should. Uh, it shouldn't, shouldn't be this hard. The next story I heard when I listened was, I don't want to deal with this. Now, this one's trickier. It's actually not in the LFT one. It's, it's one of my own flavors. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a story I often will tell about abdication, where it's like, I don't want to deal with this, it's too hard, and there's lots of weight to that, so I, so I tend to pull back. And so I started to question it, and I was like, yeah, it's true, I don't. I don't like dealing with fighting, but then uh, somebody, I don't know where this even comes from, I feel like this is the work of the Spirit often, uh, is to just ask me, well, what do you want? Right? When you have a question that bubbles up in you, one of the questions that I was reflect on this that bubbled up in me was, what do I want? And if you find yourself in a situation where you hear these words and you're, you can listen, you hear it, and you step back, we're, we're good if you're frustrated like me to tell ourselves what we don't want. But telling ourselves what we do want becomes really helpful. And then I have to reflect as a parent and as somebody who's, who's seeking to follow Jesus, like, what do I want for my boys? And then I realize what I want. I want boys who are able to work through their conflict without having to result to to throwing fists or, or feet or using uh, yelling to actually find a resolution that works collectively, right? I want to raise peacemakers. That's what I want. I want to be someone who has helped their children learn to navigate conflict in a way that builds relationship and doesn't break it down. That's what I want. That's my hope. And so then, if I can frame it like that, then every fighting moment potentially is an opportunity to grow that muscle, right? You might, I mean, this is a stretch, but maybe one day I'll even be excited that I get to coach that fighting situation. Uh, but that, this is sort of, that's the new story, right? The new story is I want to help my boys work through conflict. And so that's the kind of coaching story that I can uh, draw from. And to me, that ties to my faith of wanting to be a part of, as Jesus said out in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers and the big call for reconciliation. I feel like that to me is the new story, that new hope that I want to have. Uh, the third, so like, these are all, we listen, we question, we reframe the story, we tell it new. Uh, the third story is actually a, a harder story. Uh, it's the story with the black and white thinking. So it's the story when I escalate down all those things and I say, I'm not cut out for parenting, right? It's the, 
I don't have it. The all bad. The black and white thinking. And how I awfulized to get there, right? It was like, oh, I just yelled once, but all of a sudden now I'm not qualified to be a parent. That's quite a common escalation for me. Um, and this one's a little trickier because I think it actually, when you talk about reframing, anybody who's done this sort of self-work, uh, does it go smoothly? Like, first time you do it, nail it, right? It doesn't, right? So like even this practice, like it sounds so simple. We listen, we question, we tell new stories. But it's the fact that we have to tell the new stories thousands of times, right? And every time you do it, you're like, oh, maybe I just don't got it. Maybe I am just bad. And this is how kids frame things, either or. Like, you know what's amazing? Like, I, I try really hard not to tell my kids that there's bad people in the world, right? Like, I'm like, no, they're making bad choices. But they always come back with, who are the baddies? We were reading a book recently, and I was like, who are the baddies? And I'm like, well, they're not really bad. They're struggling with, you know, I'm trying to explain a complex situation. And Myers like, no, just tell me who the baddie is. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, it's just so in them. Like, this is the, they're either all good or they're bad. And I just feel like that way of framing it stays with us. Like, I still do this with myself. Like, I frame myself in the, it's all bad, or it's all good. And in the Christian tradition, we've done this, right? We've, we've even reinforced that at times. We, we, we'll put ourselves in the all bad camp. I don't know too many people who put themselves in the all good camp. But, like, uh, yeah, we, we kind of reinforce this. We're not open to the paradox of, of us that we meet in Scripture. So, like, once I started to question that, I listened to this, me making this all bad story, and then I look at myself, and I, and I look at the uh, scripture, and I'm like, actually, you know, what we meet in the scripture is this, this, the, the beauty that God says we are good. The psalmist saying we're little less than God's. We meet the beauty and the brokenness. It's the both and. And the reframe to me is when we give up black and white, either or thinking, to embrace the both and that we meet in the text. That Jesus meets us in the brokenness. Yeah, there's brokenness in there. Totally. But God says that that doesn't define us, that God's love is big enough to cover the, the, the broken and kind of fuel the beauty. And this, to me, is actually one of the hardest works of reframing, is having that base of self-care kind of underneath of it to keep doing it, to keep reframing, to keep telling your new stories of hope. Because it's so easy to get lost in that it doesn't, it's not working. And there's lots of different practices people use, right, like, what, like to fuel the stories of hope. I think we need each other. We need a community to listen. Because sometimes I can't even hear when I'm doing the listening. I can't even hear what I'm saying to myself. You know what I'm, Have you ever been this when you're describing it to someone and you just want to be heard and you don't really know how you're framing it? You're just, it's just coming out of you like some like unprocessed like slug. And then someone helps you figure out the frame you're putting on it. I think we need practices, whether it's self-reflection, whether you process with a counselor or a friend or a spiritual director. You need people to help you see your frames, right? And then I think we also need people to help us question that together. What is our story of hope? What, what difference does Jesus make to that? What is our kind of our, our, our way of framing that in light of the gospel? And that, that's also a communal activity. It's a, we can read books. We can uh, study the gospels and, and try to put that in place to actually say it differently. And then I think you need close friends to help you keep telling those stories. And that's what gets hard, right, is to kind of see us and do that. One of the things that's really helped me, though, is to be able to forgive myself when I see I keep living out of that old habits, those old self. And the story that sticks with me, or the metaphor that sticks with me the most, is uh, we were reading an Advent companion thing uh, from Richard Rohr. 
And he uh, wrote this paragraph. He says, every change of mind is first of all a change of heart. And if heart does not change, new ideas do not last long. We all know the mystery of salvation by the forgiveness of sin. As St. Luke said, because forgiveness is not something God does, it is who God is. There is probably no other way to understand God's nature except to daily stand under the waterfall of divine mercy and then become conduits of the same flow. There is probably no other way to understand God's nature except to daily stand under the waterfall of divine mercy and become conduits of the same flow. I mean, that's so powerful to me. I, I have lucky, I've been lucky enough to, to stand under some waterfalls, a couple. Uh, and one thing that's not going through my mind when I'm like dipping my head just slightly there is like, I wonder when this water is going to stop. Right? It's just coming with this force. It's just powerfully overwhelming you with how much movement there is in that waterfall. And this imagery of the waterfall of mercy has become my like anchoring point that when I wake up in the morning and I step into the shower, I can be like, you know what? With my brokenness, with my failure, no matter how many times today I'm going to live out of that old self, I can tell that story again because God is just a waterfall of mercy. as a waterfall of forgiveness. That, that is who is at the source of all of this. And then I can spread that forgiveness to my kids and hopefully they can share it with each other. Because I feel like all this kind of, kind of pain and frustration kind of leads to isolation often, right? The frustration and our inability to deal with it can just lead us to an isolated life. And it's only as I kind of pull or actually let myself be filled uh, with the mercy of this, kind of, this God who just rains it down every day because it's not like a taxing activity to God, but it is who God is. That is at the, the core of, of God. That that's, enables us to keep telling ourselves these new stories, to keep getting up again after we've been knocked down again and again. So I hope that you have found Reframe helpful. It is, it is a life skill. It is something that we will keep doing and we'll keep finding new ways of telling the story. And, and so I don't know where you are. I know if you don't have kids, you might find that frustration is not your thing. But it doesn't matter. Whatever is challenging you, wherever you are stuck, our hope and our prayer is that may you have some space, may you have some people that you can listen to yourself with. May you be able to question it, to see it fresh from a perspective of Jesus, from the perspective of God's reality. And may you find a way to tell that story new. May you, may you find the framing that kind of helps anchor you in this source and this waterfall of love and mercy. And that's our hope for the Reframe series, and I, and I hope that you continue to, to practice it as you go.